one of your knights. Try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will lead thee. Garbage in, garbage out. Hello, hello, all you gigalos. Welcome to Garbage In, Garbage Out. I'm your host, Kelton, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Grift. How's it going, buddy? It's good. Uh, still kind of coming down from the mushroom trip that was this film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just in time to be able to gather my thoughts. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into it. Well, you know, uh, they always talk about the connection between um, psychedelics and government agencies, and that's why I'm really excited to be joining us this week. It's our buddy and definitely not CIA asset, Mike from Twitter. How's it going, sir? <laughs> uh, it's going good. You know, uh, this watching this film really just made me reminisce about uh, dosing people with LSD, uh, which is something I've done done many times throughout my career. So yeah, it was it was a trip. Uh, all those scenes out there in the wilderness reminding you of covert missions uh, in the Afghan mountains. I understand mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, I could just keep asking you questions about your personal life, but uh, instead, I guess we might as well just be talking about the movie that that we're all here for. Uh, so kind of, I, I guess I could say that we're gathered around the round table, but you know. Uh, the cheesiness is not really uh, th this movie's mode. This is not uh, the He-Man movie that Guy Ritchie's King Arthur movie was. Instead, uh, this is A24's The Green Knight. So uh, we're following King Arthur's nephew who goes on a daring quest to confront the Green Knight, who is this uh, just emerald skin stranger and tester of men. Uh, that's at least what the premise is. Uh, is giving a summation of really kind of uh, uh, not selling the movie appropriately, at least in my opinion. But uh, what did we think about this film, y'all? This is definitely not your uh, daddy's Sir Gawain, as it <laughs> as it is written here in the docket. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's um, like uh, compared to all of the consumer content, uh, double zero there for the O's. Uh, we've been what. <laughs> like watching for like this season like this was just an absolute breath of fresh air like no come on this is just like yeah. space jam what are you talking about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like i remember i think like the last time saw a movie in theaters um that i was like actually looking forward to that was uh it, like a hyped piece of media in my mind was like uncut gems in late like 2019 wow so it's li literally been like almost like two and a half three years since there's been like something that you would actually want to go see in the movies to see on the big screen and that's that's just the way things are nowadays i guess i'm like a, a big king arthur head like i'm really a fan of the mythology i sort of think like you know these stories became they almost became like in an evolutionary sense like perfect stories as they were iterated through different people, like retelling them orally and then copying them down, you know, people would add elements, remove elements, and sort of the way that the stories were most interesting to the listener or the reader was the way that they were recorded. So I've always thought it was crazy when people adapt King Arthur's stuff and they uh, just completely abandon 
it because like you know it, they basically just use the names yeah they use it for sort of like commercial recognition of this like ip that doesn't have an owner i guess and, mm-hmm. but it's like you should be adapting this faithfully because these stories actually mean something to people and they're really good exactly and so you know as like subversive and whatever as this movie was which i'm i'm sure we'll get into it's shockingly close to the actual poem like even some of the craziest stuff it it, it had been a while since i read the poem i have it here actually oh, jrr wow. tolkien did one of the uh most famous translations of it because he was obviously a, a professor of language and a linguist. You, you can say nerd. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was actually really surprised by how true to the poem that this movie was. But at the same time, it really changes sort of the underlying message of it in a super interesting way. Absolutely. I mean, I thought that uh, as a as a modern adaptation, deconstruction, whatever kind of tack on word you want to use use uh for talking about this this version of this myth i really was uh surprised with how faithful it was because i i really was kind of expecting this third act twist reveal like i don't know if i was thinking it was going to be like a post-apocalypse or if it was going to be like a jump forward in time or something i i guess i was just trying to think about like well what would the hollywood version be like what is kind of the thing that i don't I uh, think I would enjoy, but I guess we'll end up getting. And so to see that not only did this film not do that, but in fact, it it steered completely away from it in the other direction was a delight for me. And so as someone who is very ignorant to the actual poem itself, I know the, the plot beats, but I'm not familiar with the language within it or uh, specifically the pacing of the story, uh, at least with J.R. Tolkien's adaptation. Um, it is something that I think it will be interesting to see uh, how many people now go back to the poem and want to uh, start reading that. And then it is this weird spark for an entirely different bit of literature and new types of content, if you will, to use a uh, modern phrasing on it. Um, because yeah, I, I, I think it, it could inspire a lot of people to look back and go like, oh, there are a lot of really great stories out there that don't involve superheroes yeah and my like mike you brought up the point about um the level of like ip recognition because like compare this to something like that we did a couple months ago on the show the the guy Ritchie king arthur movie that had like the king arthur name attached to it for very cynical ip reasons and then the actual story basically was this jumble of many different styles and and store and types of stories but none of them really had much to do with the king arthur original myths no, um, and no. like, yeah, I remember like, you know, I was was into the King Arthur uh, stories growing up. I, I remember there was this one particular um, book that we had in the like the family bookcase that had these really striking, uh, like, got like almost like gothic art paintings. But and it's just like always a reminder that one of the aspects of the King Arthur story is this sort of uh, like just battle against the encroaching, like, you, you know, uh, ability to live as a civilization. Because yes. it's all like, like in the historical context, it's all like after you know taking place after the fall of 
uh, Roman control of the like Britain area, and then it becomes about you know I think I think it was the Saxons that were invading. So it's about like the um, encroaching wilderness and darkness, and literally like the Dark Age and movies that can like capture that sort of like like ragged Dark Age aesthetic. Like this one did in a one like in a way that like I really haven't seen in a while. Like it it, it felt it it definitely like struck close to what my original interest in the stories was like growing up, and, and uh, obviously they were like related to to art and 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 stuff and the the way the way it was portrayed. That definitely I definitely remember making that like a big impression on my mind. Of course, and this 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 film just brought it right back to it. And uh, and I guess it's probably as good a time as any to say that uh, I'm seeing a lot of praise happening for the director, uh, very well deservingly so. But I also think that like the art director and the production design of this movie deserves a lot of credit for what they were trying to do. Because it's one thing to say, I'm going to have a movie and it's going to have XYZ tone, but to then fully sell it on everything. Like it didn't feel like I was watching a $15 million uh, movie at, at any point to give you know the again the more marvel pilled people in our audience uh, reference point that is less than one episode of wandavision that's how much this movie costs <laughs> to make and so uh to realize like that's the sort of stuff that is possible uh when people are actually feeling a bit of creativity and a desire to try and uh weave together a story that is both gorgeous and entrancing and dreadful and poetic and weird just all all at once instead of being this bizarre cookie cutterism um that takes place I, i'm just very glad i got a chance to watch it in theaters Instead of probably what I would have ended up doing if it was available online, which was, you know, watch it on my TV and then go, oh, okay, that was okay. I mean, it, it was just a fun experience the entire way through. I was I was actually reading an interview with the uh, the director. I think his name is David Laurie. There we go. Okay. Um, All right. He, uh, yeah, he was talking about the budgetary restraints, actually. And he, he sort of cited it as a reason why they couldn't go period accurate with the costumes. And it's also interesting if you listen to the soundtrack, there's sort of obviously like a lot of keyboards in it and a lot of like sort of like handheld instruments and mm -hmm. stuff. So it's one of those things where I, I feel like the sort of the restrictions that were imposed on them by not having a massive budget actually made it more interesting. And for, you know, all the, the sort of talk of like, you know, like what a serious, movie this is like he was saying a lot of the influences for it were like sword and sorcery movies from the 80s like he, yeah. he mentioned lady hawk and he mentioned like another movie and like there's a couple shots in the movie like where we sort of get like these like trippy like you know collages that show like you know space imagery like nebulas and stuff it's like you know, you would totally see this in like a sword and sorcery movie from the 80s. Yes. But uh, he's sort of like taken that and repurposed it into a whole different aesthetic. Like it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be like some sort of retro throwback. He's like taken those ingredients and just turned them into something different, basically. Correct. And, and that's how I think if you're a, a true creative, that's how you should make art instead of being reference humor. 
or stealing like a shot for shot of like a, a an eighties Conan the Barbarian style movie. Instead, you just take certain elements, but then you have modern technology, modern filmmaking conveniences, uh, modern storytelling, and then you go ahead and you actually uh, tell your own version of it and not be apologetic for it, and also not try and wink at the camera. It, I don't know. I was very yeah, impressed. They- they they never even used the names King Arthur or Guinevere or Morgan Le Fay or any of these sort of archetypal characters. They they let you ins- like assume that because Gawain is a relatively well known. Uh, excuse me, uh, it's, King uh, Arthur character. It's Gawain like, uh, apparently. Gawain, uh, yeah, Gawain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reverting back to the original, uh, <laughs> like how how it was pronounced uh, in the in the stories growing up. I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember like. I remember reading a version of the Green Knight in like an early English literature class in high school, um, and it was actually funny. Like I to, went to theaters with an old friend who was in that class. Wow! Um, with some people, and like it was like it it was just there was a lot of funny inside jokes about like the Green Knight and like early English lit just from like this really good class in high school we had where <laughs> the teacher was like very inexperienced, but it was with a class of like both like you know smart kids and jokesters who were sort of like intent on turning everything into a bit. So we would do like like reads of like. Um, the the i think it was uh the uh, morte arthur uh like we would like take turns like reading that everyone in character and some of like the uh, <laughs> some of the character impressions that people did were some of like the funniest things i remember from that time oh see y- y'all <laughs> yeah, were so, like, these, these are these are 10 year bits going on I, and it's, <laughs> it's so much more highbrow than me because i i just remember <laughs> being in the class and finding out that the Don Juan poem is, in order for it to rhyme correctly, is supposed to be pronounced Jewin. And I was like, well, all right, this is comedy gold right here. Uh, little <laughs> ninth grade me. Uh, let's make some wildly offensive jokes uh, at this point. But um, I, I was really surprised to see uh, this director, by the way, because uh, it's talking about like from the director of A Ghost Story. And uh, the other film, of course, would be like Pete's Dragon. And so I'm really uh, not surprised that A24 is not going like from the director of Pete's Dragon and the upcoming (laughs) Peter and Wendy Disney movie. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so it's nice to see that he's kind of having this is a wildly inappropriate comparison, but uh, just work with me here of almost this Donner-esque directing style of saying like, well, I'm going to do one or two for me and then I'm going to do one or two for the studio, collect like 10, 15, 20 million in directing fees, and then I'm going to go continue to do art house shit until I need more money again. And then, you know, great. Uh, They'll pick me up. No problem. So yeah, the, the, the a 24 branding trust is strong. (laughs) Whereas they know not to put that uh, reference to Pete's dragon on the (laughs) poster or trailer marketing. I mean, it felt so bad. Like when I was sitting in theaters though, because I was like, wow, like a 24, their studio, I really believe and I guess like what they're pulling off. And then I watched the fucking trailer for Lamb. And I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we've jumped the shark a little bit here. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. This oh, is- the, uh, A24 is given into the big media psyop that is pushing uh, human animal hybrids. I, I you know, it's, I, yeah. I, I what, what was it called? Sweet Tooth or something. 
on Netflix about like the deer human hybrid baby. And I was just like, uh, what, what is this? And now it's just a full lamb child. Like, okay. Well. There was, there was that dating show with people in, Oh, uh, sexy beast. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Christ. Oh, that, that got, that got canceled by people. Like someone wrote like a, like a, uh, one of those like insane woke threads that was like, the only people here under these costumes are skinny cis people. Like, yes. <laughs> you, you can, you can never win. <laughs> I need more queer coated dragon fucking, uh, a goat. Yeah. That's, that's what I need. So I think that might be one situation where less representation is actually a win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we spoke to several alliance groups who said, quote, no thanks. And uh, moved on. <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess, you know, uh, we, we should probably start talking about the actual movie itself because the, the talking about our initial thoughts is always fun, but it's in the recapping of events that I feel like we can uh, really uh, both have a good time until the very end where uh, I'm sure we will be just as polarized as the audience reviews on Rotten Tomatoes would imply we all should be <laughs> and uh, start yelling and screaming at each other because that's what film discourse is right that that's how yeah. art is supposed to be by the way it's supposed to be like 95 percent of people like something and aren't challenged by it right uh, you know what never mind never mind it's okay it's fine uh, i'm getting ahead of myself here let's start at the beginning where it's a film that has chapter notes just like Zack Snyder's Justice League with uh, an old school <laughs> font. So I I was uh, white knuckling in, in the theater for a second there, wondering uh, what I might have gotten myself into uh, as, as things were starting. But uh, turns out, again, Sir Gwen is a real cool dude because while all the other knights are waking up with their families on Christmas morning, he's waking up in a brothel. Yeah, he, he he's he's a he's a real cool guy. He's a a knight who fucks, and uh, we're, we're, we need to know that immediately and get reminded of that all the time. So um, he then, uh, of course, stumbles out of the brothel, goes and sees his mom, who is uh, Morgan Le Fay, right? Like that, that was, yeah. that was something. No, not Morgan no, Le Fay? No, no. Okay. Morgan oh, Le Fay uh -oh. has the blindfold on later. Oh, okay. Oh, well, well, then oh, ooh, I, I, okay. I don't know who this imposter is. All the, all these fucking double role casting things, uh, I, you know, uh, <laughs> shout out to it, I guess. Yeah, so just to amend that, actually. I don't know who she is in the movie. In the poem, the character in the castle where he gets tested later who wears the blindfold is Morgan Le Fay. Yeah. But, I, you know, he he is supposed to be Arthur's nephew. And, and uh, you know, in the in the stories, Arthur does bang his sister, Morgan Le Fay. Hell yeah. yeah. So, I, I don't know what the relation is supposed to be. But it, going from the poem, my assumption is that Morgan Le Fay in this movie is the the woman with the blindfold in the castle later. Got it. Got it. Um, so I, 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 then he's talking to, to not mom, who is uh, talking to him about how, well, I guess he needs to go to mass. So uh, it, it's real important that uh, her child goes to mass. So that way, then uh, she can conduct like some like weird, bizarre ritual thing she has to go uh and hang out with all of her pagan friends which i guess is uh what what you would call just being like an elderly spinster in the dark ages 
getting canceled for a witch at that time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I thought I like my my sort of like the vibes I got from the beginning was that uh it was it was very much gawain's mother figure who is in control of events yeah like she 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 was like conjuring the 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 green knight to give this sort of like like rigged test game to her fail son like who was uh like basically like uh you're not living up to the imperial myth making that we need to you know carry on the regime i guess and then so like let's let's set up this uh test for him that isn't supposed to cost him his life at the end of the day it's supposed to just like make him in the eyes of the 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 realm this this next figure to inherit so it like i don't know like there's there's both the um allegiance of this like adaptation to the original poem and to the sort of uh, Green Knight stories that that make it out into the general like um, like through like the the educating channels sure like because yeah because like I I think uh, Mike from what you were talking about from the the, the poem itself like that is different than uh, like there are many different versions of this story that are like uh, fed fed to people through various outlets and it was this like I definitely found it to be like a, an interpretation that like improved on basically all of those at least in terms of the message and it, it just had like a like the the fake out in the third act that I think Kel and I have both been raving about on Twitter was a really interesting way to uh, make it not be a cliche ending for compared to the rest of the tone definitely that's a that's yeah. a good solid tease there um yeah as, as we're, we're stumbling out of the gate uh, to try and kick the story forward uh i just really enjoyed like the uh the open discussion of nepotism that, that's taking place of where like Gwen clearly probably doesn't deserve to be at the table but you know king arthur is like oh hey we haven't really ever like talked the the two of us <laughs> Uh, and you know now with that information mike it might be because he's like who is my incest son like what what's the story going on here with this and so i i thought it was really cool uh also king arthur is played by the bad guy in the last two mission impossible movies so i was expecting maybe there to be a heist to take place at some point i was very sad when that didn't take uh place whatsoever but anyway king arthur is trying to get to know sir Gawain, and is like well tell me like what's one of your feats what's one of your stories what, what have you got to tell and uh you know it's it's a real posters dilemma it's like you know when you tell people that maybe you're kind of big on twitter and then they ask for your twitter account or for like a funny tweet of yours and you're like no actually you know what never mind um it's fine uh it, it's okay uh we, we don't need to discuss this no no i don't well, have that's any that, that- that's just when I send them to the grift shop. Oh, then, okay. Uh, well, I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah, get it. Yeah. Very different processes <laughs> they can, they here. Can, they, can, yeah. they can check out the shirts. <laughs> <laughs> it does the first act a great job of showing how Gwen uh, is not someone who uh, is what people might think of as a knight from this era. So it's doing a good job of adding this very dirty element of realism to it that then really kind of comes crashing down a bit when you see the the witch's ceremony taking place and the ritual that's being performed to summon the letter that then summons the, the green knight who then comes in in all of his glory. And uh, I, I love the design of the Green Knight. What did y'all think? It felt very nature-based. And I think I think that was evidence in what was probably my favorite line of the script later on when um, the, the lady of the castle is talking about, like, green and, like, the, the 
um, like all all the connotations of like mold and decay and like nature taking over and yeah, like the, the I get it, goth kid at Hot Topic who can't afford black <laughs> yeah, clothes. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, actually, green uh, is like yeah. way more dark if you think about it than black. Uh, that that's why I'm wearing green right now. Yeah, yeah, wearing wearing green to signify like climate doom doomerism. That's that's the new goth. <laughs> I could see that. That that is a future that I think will probably. Uh, oh God, I really hope that the that subsect of people don't pick up on this movie and have that be the thing they take away. Although you know, uh, they they very well might. It's okay though. Um, I Mike, I wanted to ask you a question since again you you've read the poem, uh, especially very recently here. The challenge that the Green Knight lays out to Sir Gawain, or rather to everyone at the table, uh, w- is that basically right out of the poem, or was it kind of tweaked and streamlined a bit? No, nope, that's exactly what it is in the poem. It's sort of supposed to be like a test of uh, of a knight's like honor and honesty. Same as it is in the movie. Obviously, you you kind of have like this threat of death hanging over your head for a year. And then whether or not you keep your word at the end of it is like sort of the greatest test possible. Okay. I just actually went back and looked. I guess for this film, the, d- the director decided to combine the character of Morgan Le Fay and Sir Gawain's mother, who in the poem is a different character. Great. So... Yeah, okay. so that is that is Morgan Le Fay, who is his uh, who is his mother. Let's streamline this. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's make it happen. Um, it, now, is this challenge that the Green Knight gives? Is this something that's meant to be almost a rhetorical thing of where then like a knight is supposed to like shake the hand of the Green Knight, and that is the the correct response, or is it always kind of? you think like geared and meant for there to be a violent action in order to cause that heroic journey to go forward and follow true to your word. You know, watching the movie, I I couldn't help but think like, why did Gawain need to go sicko mode and cut his head off? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but I don't think, you know, in modern times, we don't really have the same sort of mindset as, as people had back when this was written. Like, it was an honor culture. If you challenge someone to combat like that, I think there was more of an expectation of, you know, maximum effort. Whereas today, somebody might be like, you know, maybe I could just cut off his hand and yeah, not, <laughs> yeah. and like risk being maimed at the worst in a year. Like that's still pretty bad. <laughs> uh, and, and like, look at the reaction he got from the the table. Like they all cheered him. Yeah, when he just like, oh, yeah, when he, when he went sicko mode, they're they're into that. <laughs> oh, uh, great job, Gwen. You know, it, 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 it's all you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> that part was really surreal, actually, and it's one of the interesting parts of the film that it sort of does a deconstruction thing just by accurately depicting what is in the poem and you're and the the watcher is like wow that's fucking weird like he just (laughs) cut off this guy's head who like wasn't fighting him and everybody's like applauding him you know what i mean like no further work needed like accurately depict the narrative (laughs) and people are already like having culture shock watching it i I mean i'm I'm just so fascinated to to see about you know what would have happened if Gwen instead was like, oh, I'm going to give you a gift. And then in one year, you'll have to give me a gift. 
uh just you know like like i don't know it's some shitty gift too like a yankee candle yeah <laughs> so then uh the green knight has to re-gift it back to him but act like it's a new thing uh uh I uh, just something other than that i think could have taken place um there was a bit of dialogue i i really enjoyed between king arthur and sir Gawain, and it's uh king arthur asking Gawain like do you understand the challenge and he goes i do i i think i do and then king arthur says like remember it's only a game and then as you said immediately just goes sicko mode chops off his fucking head uh not not really paying attention to the idea of everyone's just trying to have a chill time here on christmas and uh <laughs> goddamn dude <laughs> yeah I, I like i just remember like that would always be a common theme in the king arthur stories like King Arthur and his knights, they're all having a feast, they're all having a good time, and then, like, some stranger, like, comes and disrupts the situation, like, offers a challenge, or, like, is a, is an old, like, lost, uh, like, acquaintance who comes with news of a thing they need to deal with, or, like, someone proposing a quest, like, it's always the, the uh, you know, people having, like, you know, celebrating their success and permanence, and then some outside force coming in to, uh, to disrupt it and provide the impotence for the for the uh story it also shows like a different sense of pacing because like uh these are full stories and it's not meant to you know try and have a hook that makes you want to keep reading to what the next one is so it isn't like uh, it ends on a cliffhanger after the feast is over and then a, new, a night bursts in and is like i need your help king arthur there's a blah 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 attacking blah blah yeah. blah and then it ends like tune in next week for the next bar <laughs> poem or whatever one thing i wanted to also mention is that the i'm so glad we didn't spend that much time in the year in between because that would have been my other guess too is that like in a slow burn movie that maybe it was going to focus entirely on the year in between of that sense of dread and the anxiety that you might feel from that. And instead, like you kind of clip right along. Like Sir Gawain is just having sex. He's drinking. He's getting his portrait made, you know, doing all really cool stuff. There's a super fucking creepy kids play with puppets that takes place with uh, needlessly <laughs> violent uh, uh, graphics for the time. Real cutting edge shit. Just the, the local James Cameron is developing puppets that heads will pop off with red string coming out of it. So then when the year is up, Gwen, of course, doesn't want to go. And it, Arthur has to kind of convince him and be like, come on, you said you would. You really said you would. What's the deal here? What's the problem? And, uh, you know, I, I just got to uphold that sort of thing. You know, of uh, it seems like it was a, a real human kind of reaction to say, no, I don't want to jump forward and go to, uh, right off into my death. And so he has to kind of get talked into it to not bring dishonor uh, to, to King Arthur or to anyone around him, as well as the fact that the whole town is now kind of expecting him to go. Like, it's not something that people have forgotten about. And so I, I hadn't thought about that in terms of outside forces rather than your own personal sense of duty. It definitely added an element compared to um, the, the, the traditional Green Knight story where it's the, the, the fate of the realm does not rest in like Gawain, like Gawain's hands as this sort of prince figure. And it, it felt like there was much more of a vibe like the people there, uh, you know, being ruled by this uh like monarchical regime uh you know put this sort of outside faith in this uh member of the 
royal family who uh, needed to do this quest to prove themselves that they could, uh, you know, take over the next time. And the sort of, yeah, the, the d- direction of, uh, like, the, the, the direction of that is being led by Morgan Le Fay. And, the, yeah. and uh, yeah, definitely uh, making it the, like, you know, th- that's, that's who's really in control in this version. It's, it's not King Arthur. It's not Guinevere. It's not, it's, it's the outside, uh, you know, like, pagan force there. Yeah, I'm, I'm now just imagining Morgan Le Fay as like the worst kind of stage mom, uh, yeah. really trying to push <laughs> push her kid out into the forefront. Like, look, Arthur was able to pull a sword out of a stone. My son is going to go kill the Green Knight, maybe. I don't know. Kind of backfired. Wasn't really anticipating he would be the one who uh, jumped up and said this. So, uh, fuck. Yeah, he, he's he's the fail son. And like he just he just wants to to drink and to have sex with women and just like not he doesn't feel up to taking the reins as the next as the next generation and that's like I felt like it was definitely trying to tap into those sentiments at least among a lot of a lot of people in this you know there's the trope of the like the fail son on Twitter and it's like this movie was I, like a, a lot of the the sort of narrative arc of it was like sending him through uh like there he he has no choice in the matter like he the only way he could have escaped and i think like as he as he starts out and you 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 had mentioned that like why doesn't he just ride off and become like a, like like a grifter I, like, i'm just people, saying people like, keep saying like you look like a knight he could like totally take advantage of that even though <laughs> if he didn't officially have that title yet yeah i, I mean like it, again it seems like the past it was uh, like like what you're talking about, Mike. Like everything was so geared towards this idea of honor, because now with modern sensibilities, like if I got in hot enough water somewhere, I could go just forty miles in another direction. There's a new village. No one is ever going to have any overlap whatsoever. No one's going <laughs> to know who I am. I can just reinvent myself. I can just be like, oh, me, uh, I'm I'm D- John the Carpenter. Good old Johnny Carps is what they call me. Yep. Uh, Okay, awesome deal. Um, and it, it just seems like, uh, again, he got pressured to wind up and go out, leave the castle, and immediately there's a skeleton in a cage at a fork in the road, and the, the camera lingers on that. And I was just like, ah, good, <laughs> good. Um, and then find the metaphor. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Oh, and that that's also when I say like uh, to people who say, "Well, this movie is too uh, esoteric and is too out there and it's too weird." I, I I mean, the points get hammered home pretty obviously. Like it's not some truly obscure thing where you know I, I've seen people draw a comparison to like Tree of Life. And uh, no, absolutely no. not. Like this, no. <laughs> this movie has a solid three act structure and uh, uh, beginning, middle and end. There's a hero's journey. Uh, it, I mean, it, it seems almost uh, formulaic to a fault if you want to consider it a true art house kind of movie. I, I just enjoy it for being a, a great film. It's a it's a good movie. Yeah. And I think that the uh you know sort of the more existential subtext of this film is it's not you know it's well done, but it's not like that intellectual that people shouldn't be able to understand it. I don't think it's that different from a movie like Click. Mm-hmm. Not to uh, ruin the end <laughs> yeah. or anything, but yeah. 
That's true. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Click is a good. I. I. Was, it's a great uh, movie. I was emotionally affected by Click. <laughs> I remember seeing it as a teenager. <laughs> Don't waste your life, kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that that cut me to the core, Mike. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to have to move on so we can finally get to the end here, because I have a feeling that's just going to be a 20-minute discussion in and of itself. But uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, Sir Gawain, he, he is traveling around, and that's where he runs into a scavenger who he's kind of rude to, but not really that rude to. And the scavenger points out like which way to go to Gawain. Gawain heads that way without tipping him. So, you know, just just remember, I guess, to 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 tip the members of the working class. Otherwise, they will uh, track you down. They will hunt you, beat you almost to death and then rob you. So guess that magic <laughs> green girdle belt your mom gave you didn't do shit. Huh, Gwen? Fuck you, stupid ass. Yeah, like, well, wasn't it used as, like, a Chekhov's device later in the thing? thing? Yeah, so yeah. It, it, okay, yeah, th- that's our okay, obligatory okay, Chekhov's found, belt. Found the plot yeah. hole, damn. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you have this belt, no harm will come to you. Smash cut. He's just getting kicked in the face by that fucker from killing of the sacred deer. Just over and over again. <laughs> I guess he wasn't really that hurt, huh? Oh, well. Um, so, yeah, yeah, he he gets robbed. They leave him for dead. And there was this was uh, where the movie was teetering for me in balance because I was like, I'm kind of enjoying it. I'm kind of wondering if it's going to be too up its own ass. When you just hear the clockwork sound of the 360 shot begin of Gwen laying on the ground and then it circles back uh, and then it's a skeleton. Uh, also laying on the ground, then it rewinds, and then he's back and alive again. I was just like, I, okay, I get the symbolism here, movie. Like, I understand. It's uh, it's good. Not at all heavy-handed. It, it's it's crushing me. <laughs> uh, like, we, we can just keep moving. And so, thankfully, we do, because he's able to, to wiggle his way to escape, which is... Uh, I enjoyed seeing instead of just kind of showing the quick he uses his hands to slide up on the sword and then that's what enables the ropes to get cut. He actually cuts the fuck out of his hands uh, after kind of writhing around for a little bit in a very undignified way. Those little touches uh, that help ground the movie so well, at least in my mind, which then makes the scenes that follow have a much larger impact, in my opinion, because then when he comes across an abandoned cottage and he decides to kind of Goldilocks his way into one of the beds that, that's inside. And then uh, <laughs> he gets woken up by St. Winifred, who I know you you probably don't uh, recognize her grift, but that's uh, Carly Morgenthau from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So the, the main anarchist villain person who is part of the Flag Smashers. Uh, she appears in this movie and it felt yeah, weird to be like, what are you doing in a real movie? I thought like Disney kept all their actors like in a, in a lab somewhere and only let y'all out periodically. But yeah, uh, very glad we didn't do that whole actual sh- uh, TV show. For, no. For, um, for, for, for oh, my show. fucking God. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for us to review something that has like an eight minute uh, ending speech of like can't we all do better both politicians and us question mark yeah no but <laughs> get all the way out of my fucking face with that um 
But yeah, so Winifred's whole deal is that she's missing her head and she's appearing as like a full-bodied ghost. And uh, Gwen is hesitant to get her head from the bottom of the lake. And he asks, what do I get in exchange? And she gives probably <laughs> my favorite response of like, why would you ask me that? Why would you ever ask me that? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I guess. Because again, it's the honor code. It's the society point. Like, Why Why would this knight, this nobleman on a quest to fulfill like his honorable duty uh, be like, but what's in it for me, though, if, if I give you back your head, ghost lady? Just uh, it, it's weird. Was that? I, I liked her. I, I I liked her line too to the question. He was like, like, are you like real or a spirit? It wasn't she like, what's the difference? Like, yes. it's like, yes. like the same thing. Which was yeah, that was that was another great. Uh, they 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 gave her some very choice moments in the script there. It's almost like she's a real actor or something, and not you know uh, I don't know this faceless wannabe action hero type that got pigeonholed way too early on. Thanks to Falcon of the Winter Soldier and then Star Wars, uh, uh, what is it? The Rise of Skywalker, the Fall of Sky, whatever the last one was. Anyway, um, it's fine. We, we don't need to talk about those movies. Um, so he, he dives in, of course. He then finds her skull. But when he comes back up to the service, she's gone. So he sleeps in the bed one more time. And uh, he finds um, that the axe has returned to him. The the jolly green giants axe that's right that's what i'm going to call him from now on not going to be crossover <laughs> ips whatsoever uh that that fucking peapod company can sue me for all i care um so uh his quest continues and uh we, we get into uh griff do you call this the part where uh we go full mushroom trip do you want to talk about uh what ends up happening well, he he literally eats mushrooms. Uh, he he throws up pretty much immediately. But Hell yeah! I, I I thought I thought that was a pretty clear indication. Like, okay, he's 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 going on a bit of a a, a personal uh, journey here through these uh, through through these uh, drugs. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, you haven't we all like, been there? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, and it, it it just goes so quickly to like now now there's giant uh, giant people. Like the yeah. skyscraper, tall people, like fucking uh, stone giants walking around doing goddamn whale songs to each other, acting yeah. like it's the totally normal thing that takes place. Uh, what what look like I, they they look like women with no with like no hair, basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, or or <laughs> maybe was, they could be giant femboys. Okay, come on. Let's you never not, know. You never not, know. Uh, that, that's probably some Twitter guy's dream right taking place oh god i, I, <laughs> I just want to get stepped on by the giant 300 foot tall woman please thank you yeah uh, fanboy yeah. vor that's what that is <laughs> 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 oh fuck uh, help, help, help us with this dolphin garage you're our only hope <laughs> <laughs> so he eventually either the drugs wear off or he finally is able to find a bit of safety i'm choosing to believe that the rock monsters were real because why why wouldn't i i want to uh, have that level of uh fantasy take place but he comes <laughs> in, into a house uh with a friendly uh guy who's living there of course, you know, just just no one no one really needs to to worry about what this guy's up to or how sketchy he might be. Uh but he, he says that the the Green Chapel where the, the Sir Gawain is going is only one day away, so he can totally hang out with him and his smoking hot wife. 
that looks exactly like the uh, his his brothel lover from from Camelot. So, um, quick question here, since it's uh, it's the three of us. Uh, if he does anything with uh, his lady's doppelganger, is it cheating? All right. <laughs> <laughs> like, what attracted you to her? Everything about you. Ah, uh, uh, okay. How am I? How am I the bad guy here in this situation? Um, it, it seems like uh, I don't know. It, it's a it's a weird situation. Uh, Griff, you you had written down in the notes here that it definitely had the couple looking for a third energy. The just the yeah, entire like, time. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was like the two of them uh, in a portrait uh, on their medieval Tinder profile, <laughs> just like picking up this this uh, young handsome knight on the road and uh, like you know playing playing uh, psychosexual mind games with him. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I, and I mean, uh, for anyone wondering, the Lord is uh, played by uh, Joel Edgerton, who has been in a lot of of great things. But basically, anytime he has a hot wife in a movie, like shit is about to go down. Like it, it, it happened in The Devil All the Time. It happened in Serenity. It, uh, I, I think it <laughs> happened in uh, It Comes at Night. If you want to define hot wife in a in a very uh, uh, much more grand sense, there uh, stretching. He's a hot wife guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, I, I guess uh, re- respect to his lifestyle. Obviously, yeah, he's done yeah. something that works for him. Um, here, I, my question again, Mike, not to use you as kind of like the the source of all knowledge about the poem here, but I assume the Lord is just as weird in the poem. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is interesting. Just to sort of map out how the movie has tracked with the poem so far, the intro sequence at Camelot is very similar to the poem. Uh, basically, at that point, the poem does a time jump. It briefly alludes to adventures, including uh, Gawain stopping at Winifred's well, but it does not elaborate. So, oh, okay. sort of the the giant, the whole Winifred episode that is not in the poem. The poem basically cuts to the castle where we are now. Weird. And, uh, okay. So <laughs> strange. But there was a a couple things at the castle. I was like, okay, hey, there's no way that that was in the poem. And I went back and, uh, yeah, it's actually pretty much the same. <laughs> so in the poem, the Lord of the castle says to Gawain, I'm going to go hunting and I will give you the best of whatever I find, but you have to give me whatever you receive at the castle. And similar to the film, Gawain is like, what am I going to receive at the castle that isn't already yours? <laughs> and the Lord just kind of like, oh, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what happens next in the poem is uh, every time that the Lord goes to hunt, his wife tries to seduce Gawain. And so on the first day, she kisses Gawain and he's like, get off me, like, trying not to do it, but he feels guilty about it, and he doesn't <laughs> want to let the Lord know that he kissed his wife, but he also doesn't want to, like, renege on his agreement. So he kisses the Lord in greeting when he comes in the oh, house. So that okay. technically he does not... So that kissing thing is actually in the poem. Oh, nice. And scholars have argued about whether it is meant to be like a sort of depiction of like homosexuality since 
this whole castle scenario is a temptation scenario, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and of course, that was considered to be, like, pretty grave sin by the people who would have been telling this story, as would be, you know, fucking someone else's wife. Oh, see, I I hadn't even thought about that, because the idea of, like, oh, so he kissed him. Like that, that it's kind of like a, a comical beat to me now, but I am trying to like put myself in the brain of someone from the dark ages where it's like two men kissing each other. Oh my God. This is the most intense horror story I've ever witnessed. I can't believe this would take place. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, the, but there, there's argument over the context there because, you know, men did kiss each other in greeting and it wasn't necessarily a sexual thing. Yeah. They're, you know, like European. It, <laughs> yeah just dudes being guys hanging out as bros you know it's fine <laughs> I, you know I, I the whole like looking for a third thing yeah i was definitely thinking about that like it, you know in this film you can sort of imagine the lord like going up to his wife and being like yeah jerk him off like, <laughs> he's, like, yeah. he's like hoping gawain is gonna is gonna give him like a reach around in the forest afterwards yeah. or something <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Wait, I, I, I need that nut on screen. I, need that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess uh, we, we should also talk about that because uh, the the wife who I think is a witch, right? Because she has like a separate green belt or something. Uh, it's it's different than the one that his his mom slash Morgan Lefay made for him, but it looks exactly the same. Uh, it has like the same promises of like you won't be hurt as long as you have it um but then like she she's doing like weird like passionate talking to him and then uh he he just you know immediately blasts just all over the place and uh in my note i was like oh she's the green lady and that seed aha i got it uh it's all coming together here good times um just I was not prepared just for the viscousness to being uh, displayed on screen. So it was nice to see real practical effects taking place. None of the CGI come that you might see in Hollywood blockbusters. Bring bring back the cum squibs. uh fuck uh that that honestly would probably be like the best day of shooting just in general on set probably <laughs> like okay all right dev you lay out in the bed alicia uh you you you're right there with him okay props department i need like i don't know the most watered down super glue that you have <laughs> you you got you guys are, are both still fully clothed but we need we need to set off the, the cum squid <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I honestly almost felt like the cum was in there to get an R rating because the movie would have been like rated G or PG without it. It really would have. That's the other thing, too, is that like there were a couple shots that, and again, I hate to be the guy who's all of a sudden talking about like gratuitous nudity or gratuitous adult content, but like it really felt like it was there so that within it could market itself as an R rated film. And so, like, I, you know, this will never be the kind of movie that will be on at like Thursday at 4 p.m. on TNT or whatever. But, like, yeah. with those two scenes cut out, it absolutely could be. Like, there's nothing holding it back from being that. So, um, 
Yeah, weird, weird. I guess it makes sense then why he would be good as a director for Pete's Dragon and then also Peter and Wendy, <laughs> like to to think about that. Like, well, I mean, some mature content aside, like you're not actually doing anything that kids can't be exposed to. You know, it's not like a, a schlock director, for example, deciding to. Yeah, try- I, I bet part of the reason why the audience score was so low is that People went in expecting like battles and uh, uh, night duels. That is, and, that you know, is no, on you're them. You're not going to get any of that. Yeah, like, this is an no, no, A twenty four film. Of, of course, it's on them. But like, it's it definitely uh, that subversion of the expectation versus what the audience would um, be like. The like the more general audience who may not even be aware of the A twenty four brand. Probably, probably most of them aren't. Like yeah. as far as like you know, following I, movie I, and studio I mean this brand. in the best possible way. Jungle Cruise came out this weekend as well. Go watch that instead. Like that, I'm <laughs> sure will be a much better time if that if that's the kind of spectacleism um, that that you want. Like it's fine to say that you want a roller coaster instead of a trip to the art museum. Like it's okay. Like it, it's fine to say that, but don't you know get mad that the art museum doesn't have a roller coaster inside. You know, uh, it, it, it's just a, a yeah, different and- vibe. And the, the, the ratio of, of roller coasters to art museums is getting worse and worse by the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big roller yeah. coaster has been really just fucking decimating the art museums, but uh, it, yeah. it's okay. Um, it, it's a zero-sum so, game there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Gwen is able to uh, escape, of course, uh, after uh, him and the Lord have like a... Uh, not entirely not passionate make out kiss just a single kiss but you could tell the lord was really feeling it a lot more than Gwen was and so um <laughs> it, it was fine he also gave him back his magic fox which we don't really know was magic until the fox starts talking and uh it, it was nice to see that because i was wondering what exactly the fox was going to have to do with the story beyond being like a a, a color palette differentiator because it's uh, much more orange. So as you're going in different zones, it does provide a nice element of contrast in that way. But like that's a lot of CGI budget to be spending on a fox who doesn't really do that much. And then, you know, once the fox starts talking, it's like, all right, okay, good job, Gwen. Listen to the the talking animal in the forest because... I don't know. The the fox had a, a I think a, a pretty good line in it cuz as Gwen's talking about how he wants to go out and he wants to go uh uh meet his fate. Uh and the fox says that if men knew what they faced they would not hesitate to wear their shame, which I just thought was like a, a good line. Like it's a good it, it, it's it's something to say like oh well if if I was there I could have kicked his ass or I could have done this that or the other. But like, you know, yeah. w- when you're in that moment, uh, you know, there's no other place you would rather be. And so uh, to just embrace that. I think it's worth flagging uh, something else that the fox says because it's relevant to the end of the story. When the fox is trying to dissuade him from going to see the Green Knight, he says he has no mercy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like you do not know what you're in for. Yeah, which is very interesting to think about in light of what the Green Knight does or does not do. <laughs> yes. 
um, which we will <laughs> will get to here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I'm certainly uh, again, but we we we'll jump right into it, I guess. And Ca- that was that was a pretty obvious CGI fox, though, to, to close that out. Like it was it was the like it was relatively well rendered and didn't stick out too much, but like. It, it was, you know, zipping around and, and was uh, a little uh, less detailed than the than the really well, like, use of um, depth to, like, a lot of the visual shots. Like, the, the, exactly. It was, it was the one element that stuck out. Um, no no one was, is thinking, like... Obviously, yeah. Yeah. So no, no one's going, like, whoa, that was a CGI fox? I had no idea. <laughs> you know? Um, so, but, but that, again, that's okay. Uh, so Gwen, uh is finally able to reach the chapel via rowboat, and then he waits the whole night uh, in front of the green knight that he finds sitting inside, because the chapel is less of a chapel and more of like an old church that's been eaten away by the forest itself, and so it's green by proxy because of the, the moss and the leaves and the vegetation surrounding it, so that uh, then when the knight wakes up and decides to resume the game, you really do feel like the knight is in his element. And so uh, Gwen, of course, is uh, trying to ready himself and to, to try and, uh, not, you know, he, he doesn't want to get his head chopped off, but he's trying to accept it. But each time the knight tries to swing, he flinches and he scurries away. And the first time I was like, well, okay, human emotion, nerves. The second time um, that it's, it's, a, a line of dialogue that's going to stick with me, I think, for for a while here, of uh, where Gwen asks, "Like, is this really all there is?" And the knight says, "What else would there be?" Like, it, it just uh, it, it resonated with me. Of like, oh, okay, yeah, this is the end. Like, you're you're able to kind of stare uh, into the ledge, looking into the void, uh, personified a bit. And, um, in what really felt bizarre to me, especially at first, uh, when the knight tries to swing the third time, that's when Gwen takes off and Griff, would you mind describing the sequence uh, of what happens following this in what's not originally like revealed to be a time jump it plays out the scenario on screen of what would have happened if he'd taken the horse and run from uh, the green knight's third attempt to chop his head off and it's he gets back king arthur and guinevere die of old age uh he um like uh he rejects like basically a marriage proposal from the um from the um uh woman uh it, like the like the lower class uh, woman in the brothel who ends up like having his bastard kid and they're like ripping it out of her and and she's like crawling on it, it was that was a, that was a bit of a, a some disturbing imagery there um, Absolutely. she was like all bloody and then just like crawling towards the door and being like you're you're taking my baby and uh, yeah and it, basically the whole downfall of the kingdom he uh, they his the the his son dies on the battlefield uh the the battlements of camelot are being broken down like it's like helms deep like the final moments of they're they're in the uh the closest members of the royal family are like in the final chamber inside the castle and the rest of it has fallen and there's you know everything's burning um and he sort he sees that like this is this is the path that would result of him uh, running away from the challenge so then he he makes that choice to go back and um, 
and bare his neck to receive the blow, but then uh, we get a like definitely a sort of like it reminded me a lot of uh, Inception just to go the very low hanging fruit comparison where Hell yeah. you're you're yeah you're 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 given this semi ambiguous ending but through a lot of the context clues well because well, the, the ambiguous the, ending yeah. rift r- real quick yeah. sorry don't mean to cut you off oh yeah is no that worries. um uh the you realize that it's a flashback he decides to pull the magic girdle away from him so he he's embracing uh whatever happens happens uh yeah. and then uh the the green knight uh then says to him like now off with your head and then cut immediately to the end of the movie uh credits start rolling and i love that ending i loved the sequence i loved how it ended i would have hated at least in my opinion another 15 minutes of wrap up and then well it goes a different way or oh he actually did get his head chopped off and then we get a slow pan of his head you know being separated from his body or whatever it is Uh, i love that ambiguousness because that wasn't the point of the movie Uh, like his arc had been completed and the fact that it doesn't show what happens afterwards is highlighting the fact that it doesn't matter what happens afterwards. And um, I mean, I'm honestly surprised that so many people uh, have an issue with how it ends, but I, I, I want to hear y'all's thoughts on it. I, I have a, I have a real uh, Reddit uh, theory about this, <laughs> about what happened in this movie, actually. Okay. So we sort of see that this character from the beginning is like a big failure in a lot of ways. The director said that he, was sort of based on his own life, he, which he referred to as like a failure to launch. Um, okay. Like this is sort of like a mm-hmm. World of Warcraft in his parents' basement at 30 years old kind of character. And so the first thing that he runs into on his journey is uh, this this group of characters who robs him and ties him up. So in that scene that was mentioned earlier, the camera pans around the forest and shows that a great deal of time has passed and that Gawain's dead body is laying on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's pretty realistic and consistent with the character that we've seen so far. I mean, yep. yeah, this guy wouldn't be able to fight his way out of a wet paper bag. Like, that's it. Literally, so, he, the only guy he killed was because <laughs> he was kneeling down, pointing at his neck, showing like the preferred exactly. incision point. Yeah, yeah. We 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 never even see him fight once in the movie. <laughs> so from this point on, there's a big tonal change in the movie. Uh, everything gets a lot more fantastical. The next thing that he does is he talks to a ghost, and the ghost he asks the ghost, "Are you alive? Are you a spirit?" The ghost says, "What's the difference?" Ah. And I think that th- that. Uh, Gawain is basically dead from from the point where he is robbed and tied up in the forest. Whoa. And we sort of see this like increasingly fantastical journey. And when he gets to the end of it, he can't let the physical realm go. Like he can't really pass on. And the Green Knight shows him what his life would have been like. And he basically sees that like Life is meaningless. He's kind of a piece of shit. He's not like an honorable guy at all, which is, you know, why the fox tells him don't don't go there because the Green Knight is going to show you that life is meaningless and he's going to show you that like who you really are, basically. Yeah. Um, Whoa. Okay. And keep going. Sorry. Sorry. My my mind's getting blown right now. I love this. Yeah. 
off with your head and <laughs> they're getting blown off. <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's it. Like, you know, and, and he's able to pass on to the afterlife or whatever at the end because he can sort of let the mortal plane go. Um, and, you know, the, the this is a big departure from the end of the poem because the end of the poem... Uh, the Green Knight says, ah, just kidding. You are honorable. I'm not going to cut your head off. And the Green Knight is revealed to be the lord of the castle that he was just at. Uh, of course. That's the identity of the knight uh, in the poem. <laughs> and so uh, he reveals that the whole thing was a test, that he knew about his wife trying to seduce him. And he's basically like, yeah, you pretty much passed the test. Like, you're an honorable knight. He, like, nicks his neck a little bit, you know, because he hid the green girdle from him or whatever. But aside from that, like, he technically passed all the tests. And then Gawain goes back with a story to tell. So, the, you know, even though this is a very faithful adaptation of the poem, turning the, you know, the, the Green Knight into some sort of, like, guardian of death or, like, a force of nature or something like that... uh and basically having the message be uh, life is meaningless and you're probably a piece of shit instead of like <laughs> live with honor. It's like about as subversive as it can possibly be, despite yeah. uh, being wow. a very close adaptation otherwise. <laughs> See, I, I didn't interpret it like that at all. But, uh, I, you know, now I that I can see it like that. A, a whole new level of appreciation for this movie. God damn. God damn, I love this movie. Uh, <laughs> holy shit. One thing that stuck out to me with regards to the ending was um, his the last words his mother say to him are, are, are like, like, this is your opportunity. Like, don't waste it. And like, it was never about like, oh, I, I, I hope you come back alive from this dangerous quest. It's like, it felt like the whole thing was very scripted for him. And he didn't have much say in the matter. It was just like, going down that track as this powerful you know, young man who needs to prove himself. And I think that, like, I mean, in terms of nihilism, that interpretation um, put, you know, makes this, like, I my, my initial reaction to uh, seeing this movie, I, I, th I think I remember posting, like, about how this, like, the whole tone and no matter what interpretation of the ending you take, it's like, the sort of like doom and like like the inevitability of death of anybody who follows down the you know system that civilization has led for them, and that's it. like that's 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 the me like if that's the path your soul takes, then the ending then the ending is always um, it, it 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 always does result in in uh, doom and waste. Man, I, I yeah, I again, it's a different interpretation, but it, it dovetails so nicely into it, mm -hmm. and the fact that a movie can work so well with two such wildly different uh, vantage points is, I think, a credit to it. I mean, it, it's something about where it legitimately is, at least in my mind, art of where people can have in-depth analyses take place and c come to different conclusions, but it doesn't mean that they're wrong because it's not just a, a plot by plot by plot by plot. It's not like, a, well, actually, this is an Easter egg to this movie, and that is a plot reference to that movie. And it's just as operating on an entirely different level 
than um, so much, much of like just again the spandex content mines that it seems like everyone is uh, trying to operate from normally these days. I, I love it. In uh, in this this sort of reminds me of Kubrick films in a way, like Eyes Wide Shut sort of has like this very suggestive uh you know there's a lot of suggestion in it but there is no right or wrong answer about what happened it's like is this a dream is it not Mm -hmm. um and i think that this you know green knight is a similar movie there is no answer you know there is no right way to interpret uh the plot but there is some pretty weird suggestive stuff like the 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 episode, the other thing about the episode where he's robbed and then finds uh, St. Winifred is she asks him a pretty weird question, which is uh, she describes the way that she died. She says, there was a prince here. He tried to lay with me. I struggled and he cut off my head or he came back that night and cut off my head. And then she says, was that you? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like. Okay, there's there's so many weird things happening here because obviously, you know, we just had a scene that sort of showed a long period of time passing after someone else stole Gawain's uh, axe. Yes. And he finds the axe in Winifred's uh, house. So, I mean, that suggestion to me, uh, you know, is that maybe the guy who stole the axe used it to cut her head off and that that all happened a long time ago. Because now Winifred is like a skeleton, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's some Man, weird... And I don't I, <laughs> I don't think there's an answer there, but, you know, one way or another. But it's very suggestive. It's obviously intentionally suggestive. Yeah, that's that's the purpose of the visuals there, for sure. Like, there, there's no coincidence that there's a skeleton in the bed there. There's that evidence of a time jump. They show Gawain's skeleton in the woods. It's just like, it hits you over and over again with the hypothetical time jump device. And it, but it then circles back to that being the actual reality that is being contrasted against the sort of un, un, unreliable film there. Like, you know, like it's, it's like an unreliable narrator, but for the main, what's being shown. <laughs> unreliable <laughs> like, director. Un, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I just, I, I mean, it, it hurts my b- mind a little bit to see that uh, an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, which I understand is is, is Rotten Tomatoes, um, but to see it, it be like in the 50s or the high 40s, whatever, it's fallen down to it at this point of it, it almost seems like, oh, okay, it doesn't mean that it, this is a bad movie. At least in my head, it means like there's something wrong with like 43% of people who go in watching movies uh, and what their expectations are. And um, I don't know. Again, I'm I'm just so impressed with this movie. And so uh, I, I, I guess I need to start doing my own deep dives into all the various theories and then uh, you know, extrapolations that can get made. Uh, it's, it'll be a fun thing to chew on for a long while. I look forward to it. You know, no, no matter what interpretation of the ending, the way the Green Knight story, you know, there's the original poem and then there's the versions that people like, you know, read and have imprint on them. The traditional ending is basically like, yeah, he, he, he passes the test. He goes back. He now has a story to tell. He is welcomed into the fold. Uh, the, the sort of stakes are never at the level of like, 
the realm and its long term the long term consequences of the quest. But it's a it's a nice story for Gawain to get his own moment to shine. Um, and like this, you know the the what the director and team have done with done with the movie here to take that you know baseline sort of uncomplicated fairy tale and make it a piece of art that has these multiple overlapping interpretations like it's it's truly something to behold yeah uh, again i i love it so much i love it i love it i love it uh i mean i know i have already got on the record as saying in my opinion this is like the first truly great film of 2021 at least in, my, in terms of my viewing experience and um so yeah, when it when it comes to like, well, how many trash cans are you going to give this movie? It's like it's zero, and fuck you for asking. Uh, would, would be um, my, my response. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think I think this is my first zero trash can one too. So let's let's uh, set the set the precedent and put the first uh, uh, member of the it, zero trash can pantheon out out by the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> it's all recycling. Uh, no, it's all it's all downhill from here. Uh, truly, the message of the green night as well it's a it's a nice thing to consider but uh mike did you have any qualms with it did you see any areas for improvement or anything that you didn't like in it you know not that i feel like it's you know beyond criticism or anything i just feel like there's a lot there Mm -hmm. and i i you know i need to watch it quite a few more times to be like to even really understand all the sort of subtext in the points that it's trying to make. And then at that point, you know, I think I'd be able to evaluate how successful it is in doing what it's intending to do. But sure, you know, a first watch of it, I was like, when when the credits rolled, I didn't even really know what to think. I think my first thought was, God, I know people are going to be fucking annoying about this movie. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> um, and I, my appreciation for it really, I think, uh, when I went home and I sort of like reviewed my copy and I, I read through the Wikipedia synopsis again to refresh my memory and I sort of saw how true it was to the original poem and exactly what the departures were in terms of, you know, thematically. And, uh, I was like, wow, you know, if, if, if this was, you know, somebody making a copy of the, the Sir Gawain poem back in the day and they had added this stuff about, you know, Winifred or whatever, it would stay in the poem because it fucking rocks. Absolutely. Like, it's, you know, you watch this movie and you're like, these, all these things that were added are worthy additions to, to the myth. And yeah. I think when you're dealing with myths, it's like, the adding stuff and putting your stamp on it is part of it and that mo- this movie does that in a perfect way i think man man it, yeah it, it's it, it's yeah. so cool to see especially your perspective on it by the way mike of because uh, it's not just like is this a good movie but it, it has good ideas that again like you were talking about would be incorporated uh into the the new canon so to speak of the film as things were going along and um it, it just really makes me wonder about uh, in, a, in a much larger sense uh in a world without ip uh what other really cool twists and ideas and developments are just lurking around the corner but are kind of hamstrung uh by just just uh again how the this intellectual property works 
uh, courtesy of the Mouse House and others. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's great. It's great. And thank you so much, by the way, for, for coming on, um, giving just such a level of analysis and then also commentary uh, throughout blowing my mind with that uh, the theory <laughs> that you were talking about. Uh, now I'm going to seem like a really cool guy when I shamelessly say that yeah, it was something I was thinking about the other day. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Gawain was dead the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the. You know, uh, (laughs) I actually just watched Sixth Sense like a week ago. So that may have been why I picked up on that right away. (laughs) I was like, huh. (laughs) Well, it works. It works. Uh, It also is one of those things of where if someone were to be like, imagine King Arthur meets uh, the Sixth Sense meets uh, Click. Yeah, yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ten out of ten, love it to death. Uh, groundbreaking cinema, but uh, man, man, oh man. Uh, so now as we're getting uh, wrapping things up and getting into plugs here, uh, where can people find you online? Do you want people to find you online? Uh, what have you got going on in your world? Uh, yeah, people want to follow me on Twitter. It's at Olive Sagan, as in like all of the uh, the Greek food Sagan, like Carl Sagan. Um, and I'm sure you can spectate all kind of weird <laughs> shit that happens on the internet. Hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. It was really fun to talk about this movie. And like you guys could not have picked a better movie I, I, I haven't watched like one movie this year until this one. And this one was on my list because I love King Arthur. So oh, perfect. Perfect. Dude, this is awesome. Like compared to all the other podcast episodes that are going to come out about the Green Knight. Probably most of the guests haven't read and actually like know the original poem. So yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your efforts here. That's right. We're bringing that grounded realness. Uh, it's something that we didn't do <laughs> last week with Fear Street. Imagine if I was like, now, Grift, we have to read all of these R.L. style child horror <laughs> books uh, if we want to fully understand this premise no no thank you yeah Good i would, I would have uh, strongly reconsidered the commitment that i got myself into here <laughs> if that were the case. <laughs> uh but what about you buddy uh what's happening in the shop this week current pop-up um I it's it's with a uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, last last time I was in New York City, I, I met a couple guys at a party, and uh, we've been plotting a little merch collab uh, since then. So that's the current one. Um, and uh, in next week, uh, we're we're dropping the second uh, Fed Post pop up shop. So all right, we got some got some really spicy designs for that one. So uh, be, be be looking out. It's always a fun time to see uh, just what levels of uh, uh, pump and dump schemes are going to be taking place so you know uh, I, shout out uh, it's, it's all worked out incredibly well uh please don't uh, pull a john mcafee on us uh both in the sense of uh departing this earth or you know running a weird cult island full of uh what what was it like brain alpha or whatever his drug of choice was god uh, good times good times uh yeah i i would say uh for the podcast itself Go ahead and follow us, of course, on Twitter and Letterbox at Giggo Podcast. We kind of are just uh, going through and reviewing some back catalog movies, some things that come out uh, as well. Just uh, it's an interesting time in theaters right now to see like what makes a number one movie, what makes a successful movie. 
Um, and so this, it was a blast to again be covering what I feel like is is a real piece of film that's going to be uh, lasting through for for years and years uh, instead of something that's just entirely disposable. It was a, a lovely palate cleanser. So I encourage everyone go go out there, touch grass. Uh, find the green chapel yourselves. Uh, embrace the green <laughs> void and talk about uh, how uh, I guess Anne Prims have it right. Eco eco fascists have it right. Anyone with with green basically has it right. Uh, and until next week, uh, goodbye. Peace.